Be seated, please. And turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 and following. The Bible is uh, the Word of God. It uh, was written by men, yes, and it is their words. In this case, it was the Apostle Paul, so these are his words. But these are just as much God's words as they are Paul's words, uh, in such a way that we can say that 1 Corinthians was written both by Paul, and we can say it was written by God. And they uh, are both fully true. Um, God used Paul's gifts to speak through him in the way that he wished to speak through him, and through Mark in the way he wished to speak through Mark, and through Isaiah in the way he wished to speak through Isaiah. Uh, That's called organic inspiration, by the way, uh, for those of you that might be interested in that uh, term, or what that's called. But the point is that it's fully inspired in all it says, um, uh, and God used the human authors to bring that about. So, Verses 12 through 22 of 1 Corinthians is where our text comes today. This is the Word of God. Uh, We are required to listen to it reverently and uh, in faith. So be sure you do that as I read this portion now to you. Starting in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we witnessed against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then, Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Christ, excuse me, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. And I'm going to read a little bit further. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers up the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. 
For he must reign until he has put all things under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. I'll stop there. Amen. Amen. Pray with me. O Lord, you are the fount of all wisdom. You are the one who gives wisdom uh, to your people um, so that we might not be fools. And we thank you that you have promised to give uh, wisdom that we need when we need it as we look to you for it. And we need you to speak to us now. We need, uh, I need wisdom to rightly expound this passage and not say anything about it that is untrue. And your people need wisdom to discern the truth as it comes from the pulpit. Would you please grant us all what we need, Lord, and not just for its own sake, but we need wisdom so that we might be changed, so that we might become more Christ-like, so that we might honor you and reflect your glory more fully. Help us in this, we ask, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Kids, where are all the children? Okay, eyes up here. There we go. Hey. Um, have you ever uh, told somebody something that you thought was really exciting? Maybe you found something in the backyard, perhaps. Or maybe you did something for the first time that you'd never done before. <clears throat> and you were all excited about that. But then um, you told that exciting thing that you thought was really exciting to another person. Hopefully it wasn't your mom or your dad. And that person responded by saying, so what? You ever had that happen? Something you were really excited about but you told somebody else and that person didn't care, really. What? So what? If you haven't had that happen, you probably will at some point. Um, I uh, think that happened to me a few times when I was a little boy. Um, but, you know, when somebody says to you, so what, after you've told them something you're really excited about, that's not really the kind of response you're hoping for, right? You want somebody to be excited with you about the thing that you're excited about. For example, just by way of an example, maybe some of you boys, or maybe some of you girls, might uh, enjoy finding and capturing spiders. Maybe you like spiders. Well, some people apparently don't. But anyway, maybe you do. Um, and you like catching spiders. And then you go and show the spider, the nice big hairy spider that you just caught and are maybe holding in your hand. And you go and show it to your brother or sister and go, look! And they go, ah! They don't want to have anything to do with the thing that you're excited about, your, your catch. Or maybe it's something, something else. Maybe you've done something. Like, for example, um, jumping rope. Maybe some of you jump rope. I, when I was uh, young, first started trying to jump rope, I, I, I kept tripping over it, you know. Maybe you've tried to jump a rope before, and you kept tripping over it. 
Uh, and I did that for so long, and I thought, I'm never going to get this. Well, finally, I started getting halfway decent at jumping rope. And maybe maybe you've done that, and you've jumped rope, and you counted out 30 times, and you made it around 30 times, and you went and told somebody, and they were like, so? It's not the response you want, is it? You want people to be excited for things that you're excited about. Well, I know that you children uh, have heard, all of you here have heard about Jesus as long as you can remember, probably most all of you that's true of. You've heard his name, you've heard it here at church, you've heard it at home. You've heard that Jesus was and that he is, he is today, fully God. He is God. He's God the Son, actually. And he's also fully man. He is. Uh, he partakes of our humanity. And you've probably heard that from the pulpit. I hope you've heard it from me and heard it from your parents and Bible readings and so on. You've heard that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he died on behalf of those of us who put our trust in him, and that he rose from the dead, which many people are celebrating in a unique way today, although we should celebrate that 52 times a year each Sunday. But he lived, died, and rose again, and you've heard that, haven't you? Right? Most all of you children have heard that before many times, I, I hope. I'm also confident because I know most of you children out there pretty well. And I'm also confident that many of you children love Jesus and are trusting in Jesus to forgive you and to save you from being punished by God for your sins, which is what you and I deserve. We all deserve that. But you're trusting in him so that he, you don't get uh, punished um, by God and go to hell. And I'm sure that those of you who are trusting in Jesus here today and what he did to save you, I'm sure that you're excited that you're going to heaven, right? Excited that that's where you're going to be one day and that you're going to get to see Jesus one day face to face. And you're excited about the fact that he rose from the dead and made that possible by his resurrection from the dead. And that he is now your friend. And you're excited about that. You should be. You really should be. You probably are as you hear me and go, yeah, that's right, I am pleased. I'm excited about that. But did you know, kids, that there are lots and lots and lots of people out there, and maybe one or two in here, I hope not, but maybe. There are lots of people who, if you were to tell them that Jesus uh, rose from the dead bodily and is alive today, and is your king and your God, that if you told that person, uh, certain people that, they would respond, maybe not outwardly, they might not say it with their lips, but inwardly they would respond with a, so what? If you told them, Jesus is alive. They would respond with a, I don't care. Why should I care about that? So what? Well, the passage that we're looking at today answers this question of why it is such a big deal that Jesus rose from the dead. Why that should really excite you and me. This passage answers it probably better than just about any passage in the whole Bible. So listen as I unpack this. There will be three points, and uh, I hope you hear them, and I hope you... uh, Benefit from them and ask the Lord for the grace to understand what uh, Pastor Mark is saying, okay? Because it's really, really important. Uh, whenever I'm preaching, it is important. Whenever anybody is preaching. 
Now, let me give you a little background here before I get to the, the three points that I just referenced. First of all, this is written to the Corinthians. Uh, it's a church uh, in, uh, in uh, uh, modern-day Greece. Uh, and there were certain individuals in this church, uh, in and around the congregation there in Corinth, who had embraced, who were believing, a false teaching concerning the resurrection of the dead. Basically, what they believed was they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe that anybody, once they died, could be or would be raised from the dead. They did not think that God had any intention of ever restoring human bodies to life after they have died and the soul has departed and gone to heaven. They were like, no, that's not true. Now, we can't be sure why they held this view, why they denied the resurrection of the human body in the last day. All we need to know is that they, like the Sadducees, and perhaps they got it from the Sadducees, denied that the body of those who die will one day be raised. That's, that was their view. And there were some folks in the church uh, that were either buy, in the process of buying into that or had already bought into that view in Corinth. And so one of the reasons that Paul is writing this letter is to explain to his readers why this teaching of there is no resurrection from the dead, why that, te- why that teaching uh, is so anti-Christian and so dangerous to believe because it is so false. His key point, Paul's key point, the Holy Spirit's key point, when a person denies the resurrection of our body, uh, for those of us who die before Jesus returns, uh, for the person who denies the resurrection of our bodies, the human body, he is in effect denying the resurrection of Jesus' body as verse 12 makes that point. If Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? In other words, if you deny the resurrection of other people from the dead, you're denying the resurrection of Jesus, uh, his bodily resurrection from the dead as well. Paul then goes on to explain why Christ's bodily resurrection is so important. Why, if that didn't happen, all hope is lost for anyone. And why, because it did happen, there is, there is certainty that we will be saved and raised ourselves if we believe in Jesus and trust in him alone. That leads me to the three points that I mentioned to the children. They are these. <clears throat> First, because Jesus rose bodily from the dead, your faith rests on truthful testimony. Secondly, because Jesus rose bodily from the dead, your sins are forgiven. I'm talking to believers now. Your sins are forgiven. And thirdly, because Jesus rose bodily from the dead, your body will also be raised one day. In glory. If you're a Christian. So, first, because Jesus rose bodily from the dead, your faith rests on truthful testimony. <clears throat> the apostles, the, uh, the, uh, the twelve, actually eleven after Judas killed himself and was replaced by uh, Matthias, and then actually there was a thirteenth in Paul. The apostles... Foremost responsibility, I think this is safe to say, they had a number of responsibilities, of course. 
But their foremost responsibilities, the thing that was key to them being an apostle in the first place, was that they had to provide first-hand witness to the world that Jesus of Nazareth uh, lived, died, and rose again as God's Messiah and Savior. They had to provide that. Remember, Paul saw him bodily, glorified. Paul saw him as well, so he also uh, uh, was one of those who qualified to be an apostle. And you had to do that because they their their foremost job was to witness to this the, this historic this historical fact that indeed Jesus bodily rose from the dead after three days in the grave. The fact that this was their, if we can call it their uh, 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 prime directive. I'm thinking of uh, uh, Star Trek now. Uh, uh, the reason this was, we can call it that, is for a couple reasons. First of all, it's clear from what Jesus himself said to them just prior to his ascension into heaven, after he'd been raised from the dead. You remember what he said in Acts 1.8? He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come about upon you, and you shall what? Be my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem uh, and in all Judea and Samaria, and even under the remotest part of the earth. You will witness for me. You will testify to me, and one of the most important things that they would testify would be of Jesus' resurrection, bodily resurrection from the dead. And also, another way we know that this was one of the foremost things that they were uh, 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 required to do and why they were chosen, it is clear also from the, uh, what qualified a person to be a potential replacement for Judas after Judas killed himself. That's also in Acts 1, starting in verse 21. And remember what, uh, I'll read that. So they were talking about, well, what do we do now that, uh, that uh, Judas is dead? Uh, and here's what uh, Luke, who wrote Acts, says, starting in Acts one twenty one. It is therefore necessary that the men who have accompanied us all at the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John, until the day he was taken up from us, one of these should become a witness with us of his resurrection. Notice that, of his resurrection. That's what they had to witness to, that he was raised bodily. Uh, and so it is clear that this is what you had, you had to be. There were other witnesses of the resurrection, of, of the resurrected body of Jesus. But you had to be a witness of the resurrection in order to be an apostle, as evidenced by that text I just read. And also by, by the repeated references to the apostles' responsibility to be witnesses for Christ that's found throughout the book of Acts. And it is the apostles' testimony concerning Christ upon which the church, that is the New Testament expression of the church, rests. We rest, if you will, on that uh, testifying of these men who were appointed for that purpose to testify that, yes, the Messiah really did overcome death. He really is alive. He really is in heaven, bodily, in his glorified body, and he is a living Savior, not a dead one. Uh, and our, our, the church's foundation, if you will, is found in that fact. Our very faith, our very salvation is dependent upon it, in fact as I'll get to here in just a moment. And that's why it's so important that you believe that he did, in fact, rise from the dead and is alive bodily uh, 
in heaven right now in his glorified and exalted body. You see, the apostles' testimony, it was not a fabrication. It was not a myth. It was not a, uh, a fun little lie to kind of start a new religious movement. Had it been so, folks, had it been uh, just uh, a pious, it wouldn't be pious, but uh, uh, well-wishing kind of thing, had it been not true, in other words, had Jesus not been raised bodily from the dead, Paul says this here, he and the other apostles would be guilty of deliberate falsehood. Verse 15 of our text makes that point. He says, moreover, if, if we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we witnessed against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. <clears throat> He's saying we would be liars. We would be deliberate liars. And this, had they been lying, had Paul been lying and the other apostles been lying, that would have been far more than merely a breach of the Ninth Commandment. The Ninth Commandment is, Thou shalt not bear false witness, right? Yes, it was certainly a breach of the Ninth Commandment if they had lied and if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead. Oh, and by the way, they of all people knew that best of all. If Jesus hadn't been raised, they knew it. Not only would that have been a breach of the faults of the Ninth Commandment, um, but deliberately deceiving someone about, and let alone countless people, about matters affecting their eternal destiny is one of the most, I would say it's the most heinous crime somebody could ever commit. Because people will go to hell uh, in droves because you lied to them, you meaning you apostles. There is, that's unspeakably evil. And they would have been guilty of such a crime if they were lying about Jesus, about their testimony with respect to Jesus' bodily resurrection. Now, thankfully, they weren't lying. Thankfully for us and thankfully for them, too, they were not lying. The apostles' testimony concerning the resurrection of Jesus was true. Verse 20, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Why can we be certain? Why can you, why can I, why can we all be certain that Jesus rose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is alive and reigning there forevermore? Why can we be certain of that? Well, because, first of all, uh, these men saw it. These, uh, these men who wrote the New Testament or were responsible for writing it through others that they uh, gave, uh, uh, dictated to, or uh, shared what had happened during Jesus' ministry uh, to, to write down. But it's not just about these men, folks. It's not just about the, the 13 apostles. But we can believe that Jesus rose bodily from the dead because it's not just their, their testimony that we're reading when we read this, as I've already indicated. Ultimately, the testimony that's born in the pages of the Bible is God's testimony. God is the one who is speaking here. God is the one who is testifying through Paul, through James, through Mark, through Matthew, through John, through Peter, 
God is the one who is testifying to us, I raised my son from the dead. We know this. Uh, scripture itself says that God is testifying through his word, is the one who is speaking, from Second Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, which reads as follows. Uh, and so we have the prophetic word made more sure, P- Peter says, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Scripture is God speaking. God is the one who is testifying to you in his word, and that is why you can be confident that Jesus is alive Not just spiritually, but bodily. And he is in heaven now at the right hand of God. That is to say, in the place of greatest preeminence uh, in all of the universe. Um, And since your faith in Christ rests on truthful testimony, God's testimony, as well as the apostles' testimony, your faith, if you have faith in Jesus, is not in vain. It is not worthless. As verse 14 and 17 say, it is if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. That's not the case. So your faith is not worthless if your hope is in Christ. Just the opposite is true, in fact. Your faith in Jesus is indescribably precious because what does it do? Faith is what unites us to Christ savingly. Faith alone is what unites us to Christ savingly. That is the conduit through which your salvation flows, and by the way, it's a gift of God to you, is your faith. And it's faith in a true Messiah who truly saved and does and continues to save because he was truly raised from the dead. And we'll talk about the significance of that more in just a moment. So, first of all, because Jesus rose bodily from the dead, your faith rests on truthful testimony if you have faith. Secondly, because Jesus rose bodily from the dead, your sins have been forgiven if you have that faith in Christ. Why? Because of what God's resurrection of Jesus meant. That's why your sins are forgiven. Because of what the, what the resurrection actually was saying, if I can put it that way. First of all, the resurrection of Christ by God was a declaration of Jesus' personal innocence and worthiness of glory and honor as the Messiah. If you turn with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. A lot of the 316s, by the way, in the Bible are worth, are worth memorizing. There are several of them that are... It's just interesting. The 316 is like, ooh, wow, that's really... You know, now, all of Scripture is important, of course. But... Uh, uh, you might look some of the 316s up sometime and uh, you'll see that a lot of them are like, ooh, that's a really cool verse. Anyway, this is a really cool verse. Um, and by the way, it is probably a very early creed uh, that was already a creed by the time Paul was writing First Timothy and is incorporated, because of the way it's written, it's pretty clear it was a, a, a creed, and he incorporated it into 
his letter here to Timothy, which, by the way, is, gives us sanction for using creeds like we did the Athanasian Creed in our worship services uh, in New Testament worship. But anyway, I digress. Verse 16, uh, which, again, this points to Jesus' personal innocence and his worthiness of glory and honor as the exalted Savior and uh, Messiah. And by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. And here's the confession, or the creed. He, uh, and th- there uh, is, uh, uh, he is a reference to Jesus. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated or justified in the spirit. I'm going to say more about that in a minute. Beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. He was justified. What is justification? It's a declaration from God on high as as the supreme judge that uh, the person he is justifying is righteous in his sight. Jesus was righteous in his sight. The sins for which he paid on the cross when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? were not his own sins. They were our sins. That is to say, those whom God wished to save, not all people in the world, but uh, uh, all of those who actually would uh, be saved, uh, they are, those were the sins for which Jesus died. He paid our debt, uh, not his own. And this, this uh, vindicated in the Spirit points to the fact that he was innocent. Uh, and, of course, there are many other scriptures that make that point as well. Uh, and, and, but notice the glorification that comes of him because of his vindication. Uh, by God after his uh, resurrection and ascension. So Jesus' resurrection pointed to uh, his worthiness of, of honor and his personal innocence, but it also, and this is very important, was a declaration by God the Father of God's acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice on behalf of us who uh, believe in him. It's God's way of saying, I have accepted what he did for you. And the resurrection makes that statement in effect. There are a couple of places that I'm thinking of. I'll only read one right now. Uh, but Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 12 makes that point. Uh, so too does uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and following. And that's the one I'm going to read to you. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, a well-known passage. But notice the connection between Jesus' uh, Jesus' death uh, and what happens after, what God does afterward as a result of his death, uh, and his, uh, obedience unto the point of death. Starting in verse 5, Philippians 2. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then notice this next word, therefore. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. But notice that connection. Because of what Jesus did, because of his humbling of himself in, uh, that, uh, unto death, death that was for all believers down through the ages, all the elect, because of that, God highly exalted him. In other words, it's a sign of his acceptance of what Jesus did on our behalf. And the resurrection, uh, and the exaltation of Christ, by the way, is not just his ascension into heaven, but also uh, his resurrection is part and parcel of that exaltation, you see. Um, and there are other passages that make the point as well. The point is, it's very important that you believe that Jesus, that God ex- uh, raised Jesus from the dead, because that means God accepted what he did for you, in your place and mine. And you know, is by by the way, an example, uh, just to kind of illustrate what God is doing in the resurrection, God the Father is doing in the resurrection. You know how uh, when newlyweds are driving away uh, from a uh, from a chapel or church after they've uh, been uh, married, and they often drive away in an elaborately decorated vehicle uh, that has cans on the back and usually has, uh, you know, flowers and all that kind of stuff. And usually, almost inevitably, there's a sign uh, that's somewhere prominent, just married. And of course, those who put the message there, just married on the car that the newlyweds are driving away in, are announcing to the world the joyful news of the couple's union, right? Marital union. Well, the resurrection of Christ is similarly God the Father's placard, if you will, to you and me and to the world, announcing to that world the joyful news that he has accepted what Jesus did, his sacrifice of himself as payment of our debt to his justice so that we don't get that justice when we go before him. Jesus' resurrection is our historical guarantee, or historic, I should say, guarantee in history of God's forgiveness of our sins. And how can I say that? Because if the resurrection did not occur, verse 17, our sins have not been covered from God's sight, and we are still in our sins. If the resurrection didn't occur, but because it did occur, Jesus did not remain in the grave. Because of that, we no longer are in our sins, those who are trusting in Jesus alone to save us. But only for those who are trusting in Jesus alone to save them. Are you one of those people? Are you a person who is trusting in the Jesus of the Bible? There are lots of Jesus out there. There's the Mormon Jesus. There is the deist Jesus. There is the uh, Hindu Jesus. There is the Muslim Jesus. I'm not sure the Hindus consider Jesus. They've got millions of gods, so maybe... Anyway, um, there's all sorts of Jesus out there. There's the Jesus that uh, proves of everything you and I do. Those are all uh, devilish Jesuses, if I could put it that way. There's only one Jesus that saves. That's the Jesus who is 100% God, 100% man, and is the only... Uh, one who can accomplish our salvation from uh, God's divine justice by his sacrifice of himself 2,000 years ago and his resurrection from the dead, indicating that God accepted that sacrifice rendered on our behalf. Are you trusting in that, Jesus? And trusting alone 
in that Jesus for your right standing before God. If you trust in your baptism, you don't, you're not trusting in Jesus. If you trust in your church membership uh, as to, uh, to help get you into heaven, you're not trusting in Jesus. Christ alone, faith alone in Christ alone is what makes us, uh, reconciles us to God. And because Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead, you can be assured not only that your sins, that your sins are forgiven, but we have this additional word of comfort here in verse 18. You can also be assured that not only your sins are forgiven, but also the sins of your departed Christian loved ones have also been forgiven. Verse 18 makes that point. Then those who also, uh, also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That is, if Christ was not raised, but because he has been raised, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have not perished, you see. Perished with reference to hell. They have indeed been spared, and they are redeemed, and they are in glory with Jesus now, in heaven, spiritually. Melita's there. Amen. Kicking up her heels, as I said to somebody last night in our family. And others whom we love who have uh, passed away, who have been in Christ, but only those who are in Christ. They too have been forgiven. We're going to see him again one day. And since their sins were atoned for, like I say, they are in Jesus' presence right now. What a comfort that is. I had a grandmother that I didn't know very well. I only met her twice, once when I was two and the other time when I was seven. But I hear stories about her. Uh, One thing she certainly was, was a godly lady. And, uh, I look forward to seeing her. Perhaps there's somebody in your life that you look forward to seeing who's gone, but who trusted in Christ. You will get to see that person again one day. Thirdly and finally, and very briefly, not only because Jesus rose from the dead, uh, does your faith rest in truthful testimony and are your sins forgiven, but also, thirdly, your body will be raised. To be a human being, and to be fully blessed as a human being requires not just your soul, but your body as well. And yes, the departed saints who are in glory are disembodied at present. They are present in heaven in spirit. And that's a good thing. It's a whole lot better than being here. Samalita isn't actually... Anyway. Um, but, but, uh, but she's going to get her body back. And we're going to get our body back, too, if we, if we die before Jesus returns. Um, and that's, that's ultimate blessedness, when we are whole, body and soul, in the new heavens and the new earth. And that's going to happen to you if you're in Christ. You will be raised from the dead if you should die before Jesus returns. And again, verse 20 makes that point. But now Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who were asleep. Notice that. And he repeats that back in uh, first fruits in verse 23. But each in his order, Christ, the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ, meaning in Christ by faith, at his coming, at his second coming. What does he mean by the first fruits? That's a very important phrase. What, what Jesus is, uh, what Paul is saying is there is Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's a euphemism 
for being having died bodily, right? Being being uh, it's a euphemism for that. It's a, it's a it's a polite way of saying he died or she died. Uh, but they are asleep, as it were, in their death. Their body is asleep because it's laying down in a sleep-like position in the earth. Another argument for uh, burial rather than cremation. Um, but it's a, it's asleep. Um, but Jesus is the first fruits of those who have uh, fallen asleep in his resurrection from the dead. First fruits is a reference to the first sheaf of the harvest that was presented to God as a thank offering to him for bringing, uh, bringing in the harvest. And that was done, that sheaf was offered up uh, in accordance with the law of Moses. And next, uh, talks about it in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 9 and following. I won't turn there now, but I encourage you to look at it maybe later this afternoon. But it's called, that first sheaf of the harvest is called a first fruit. Um, and it, it, was, it was not only given as an expression of thanks uh, to God, a way to show God thanks, but it was also considered a guarantee from God to the person offering up the first fruit. Um, it was a guarantee from God that the remainder of the harvest would be gathered in. It was a guarantee that the remainder of the harvest would be gathered in. Hopefully you see the point that he, uh, Paul is making there. He's saying Jesus is the guarantor of the rest of the harvest. Who's the rest of the harvest? That's you and me. Our bodies, that is to say. And Jesus is the first fruits of that. So Jesus' bodily resurrection is God the Father's pledge to you and to me and his guarantee to us uh, that we, too, will be raised bodily from the dead like our Savior was. So that your body and soul will one day be united together before God's throne, before Jesus' throne, in the new heavens, in the new earth, after the resurrection, I mean, not the resurrection, but the second coming, which we've been looking at and we'll continue to look at, Lord willing, next week. Uh, we will be all together whole uh, and fully blessed uh, in a consummate way on that day. And our bodies, our glorified bodies, will be there in union with our souls. That's, that's ultimate blessedness, folks. And it's guaranteed to you in the resurrection of Jesus. And that day will be the final step in God's undoing of the effects of man's fall in the garden and the curse that that fall brought upon the entire human race. That will be the final capstone on the undoing of that. And it's guaranteed that it will happen in the resurrection of Jesus. Rejoice. Rejoice in what's coming to you if you're in Christ. And if you're not, again, please flee to Jesus. Don't trust in your, your good works. They're, they're rubbish to God. They're tainted by your sin. God requires that he sees perfection when he looks at you and me and uh, uh, as, as our judge, our divine judge. And uh, he's got to see that. He's got to see the perfection of Jesus and because he's the only perfect man. And so if you don't have Jesus, you won't be seen by God as judge, uh, as perfect. And he will not say innocent. He will not say righteous. He will say, away from me, depart from me. You need Christ. We all need Christ. Flee to Christ. Jesus 
is the only hope of sinners. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this text. Thank you for the reminder of how important the resurrection, your resurrection from the dead, Lord Jesus, was, that you are our uh, guarantee. Uh, Your bodily resurrection is our guarantee that we will, too, be raised, that we are forgiven of our sins, that our faith uh, uh, rests on truthful testimony. How grateful we are that uh, you have said all this uh, in the resurrection of Christ, Father. We uh, ask, Lord, that you would help us to ponder these truths as we go through this day and even this week. And, Lord, that we would rejoice uh, that we have a God who is indescribably gracious and is now to us who are in Christ, our beloved Father and friend. We pray that if there's anybody here listening today, either in this room or remotely, who does not know Jesus savingly, would you please give that person a new heart as only you can. We ask it. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive now God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.